Um, so my friends call me Ro. I'm an alcoholic, like for sure. Um, also definitely earned my seat here. <laughs> Did a lot of research. Um, <laughs> so I, I haven't done this in a really long time, um, but anytime someone asks me to speak at a meeting, um, I do what my sponsor would tell me to do, which is say yes. So, um, because when I first got sober, I met her and thought, wow, she has what I want. Um, and I was willing to go to any lengths to get it. And that's why I'm still sober. So uh, what it was like, what happened, how I got here, <laughs> um, what it's like now, I'm still not fully awake either. So you guys get like the, the full spectrum of, of candidness. I, I haven't even touched coffee yet. So uh, I've been trying to cut back on that too and doing pretty well actually. But yeah, so um, I was born in Akron, Ohio, the hometown of AA. So go me. Uh, I, uh, I don't know, like I, I think I had like the same really stereotypical story that everyone else did. Like growing up, I felt like I didn't fit in and I didn't relate to the other kids on the playground. And um, I was molested when I was little. And like, I, I, I know it sounds like I'm minimizing things that happen to other people, but it's just that my story is not that much different from other young women in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and so, you know, school did suck. I hated school. Like my, I, I, I went to like a Catholic school for the first like six years of my life. And, um, the really, I guess, positive thing from that was that, um, I actually kind of enjoyed going to church because when I was in church, everybody left me the fuck alone. I didn't have to deal with um, like abuse from a family member at home. I didn't have to deal with uh, the other kids that make me, you know, feel like I'm an alien. Um, and so, yeah, but like just something wasn't right, you know, um, and I thought it was me. I thought it was just me. Like, I'm not right. Um, you know, my, I think that our family was a little more concerned about medicating my energetic younger brother to be more convenient for them than they were about um you know paying attention to you know this kid's like really fucking depressed right <laughs> like um I can't like really hold it against them like those are just like those little resentments you have to like let go of and like it's not a little thing like right but um when you're an adult like you get to make your own decisions and and have your own autonomy and on some level, I get to decide what bothers me and what doesn't. So that's cool. I, I guess I don't get to decide how I feel about something, but I get to decide how long I'm gonna let it happen. <laughs> so um, that was kind of like one of the gifts of like, you know, sobriety, like going through therapy and like the 12 steps and stuff. So um, I guess I'll start with that. So I went <laughs> um, into high school and stuff. Like I started like a, a punk band and, you know, like everybody's drinking and smoking weed and experimenting with like whatever whatever drugs weren't intravenous, you know, like I just wanted to try everything. I was like a little science experiment, you know, by science experiment, I mean like a dumpster and by dumpster, I mean like a dumpster fire. So um, high school was kind of a blur. Like, I mean, nothing's all bad, nothing's all good, but uh, I was still really depressed. And I think I've tried the geographical cure so many times in my life and uh, let me gather my thoughts. So like fresh out of high school, I joined the Navy, um, which is a really good place for alcoholics. 
Like I should, I, I, in retrospect, I keep thinking like, I should have known that there was something wrong because when I would go play a show, we would go do these after parties. And then like, I would literally just drink all of the booze. <laughs> like there was no, like, I didn't have a limit. Like there was no cap. Like, so I would be like, just like, wasted and like walking around and drinking everyone's like half full beers and like I didn't really see a problem with it but I thought like you know that's weird my my dad's an alcoholic maybe you know I could have inherited that they say it's like genetic or something right but so yeah like it, it was I I had a a relatively normal upbringing aside from like abuse from a relative um and being undiagnosed for a lot of things <laughs> um but I uh I um totally lost my train of thought. Yeah. So like, you know, having like a father who was an alcoholic, um, an addict and like a mother who was like a nurse and just trying to like keep it together. And then, you know, just my little brother who's like, I don't know what program he's on at the time, <laughs> like, you know, just all over the place. Like it was, I, I mean, I felt like a normal, like it was a healthy amount of dysfunctional, I guess. <laughs> Um, it, it was a regular amount of dysfunction. It, it was a pretty normal family in my eyes. But um, as an adult, I realized there were a lot of things about my childhood that weren't normal. And there were a lot of things about the ways I was living that were not normal. And they were behaviors that I learned in childhood from people who didn't really know how to cope with life or their feelings and sometimes did it with drugs, um, like alcohol and, and other drugs. So I joined the Navy fresh out of high school because I just wanted to get the fuck away from Akron, Ohio. Um, which uh, apparently there's worse places in Akron, Ohio. <laughs> and uh, I, I also ended up being in a culture where I didn't fit in, you know, like I, I was like, it, I really didn't have an issue with like being told what to do. Like, I feel like those guys that are like, I could never have like a drill instructor yell in my face. I would punch him. I'm like, well, you're the same kind of guy that goes to haunted houses and punches people. And then you're angry when we drag you out but I uh you know like I, I wasn't that person like I I wanted to fight everybody but I also wanted some structure like I knew I needed structure or something I just didn't know what that or something was um so you know like I witnessed a lot of like really traumatic stuff there like I I had an incident on the flight deck where I almost didn't make it um that was scary and uh you know I a lot of people ask me, why don't you fix airplanes now that you're out of the Navy? And I was like, I fucking hate airplanes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they get me to, to vacations and back. That, that's it. I, I don't want to touch them otherwise. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of work. It was like more work than, than ever. Um, but so I met this really great guy who was also an alcoholic while I was in, you know, another sailor, another alcoholic, really, really good for me. Right. So we, <laughs> He wanted to go to film school in Colorado. And I thought like, man, that's such a great idea. I should go to Colorado. I don't even like mountains. <laughs> like there's nothing about Colorado that I can think of and be like, yeah, I really love that about Colorado. Like nothing, like the cost of living, the mountains, like that I know <laughs> like, the snow, the traffic in Denver, the people. I don't like Colorado. If I have a resentment, I still haven't gotten over. It's the state of Colorado. So um, <laughs> I, I moved out there and, and things were just going okay. Like I had a lot of shitty jobs where I um, like door-to-door -door canvassing where I would wake up like hungover and like, you know, like almost shit myself for like an hour and then finally get out the door and then go 
walk through the snow, like a foot of snow and knocking on people's doors and being like, would you like to save the rivers that are incredibly polluted? Please give me money. Um, and that, that sucked. I, I worked a lot of crappy jobs and I remember like just being so hungover that I would have to like call out of work. Like I, I <laughs> and I didn't like realize at the time that like, that's not normal because like I was kind of conditioned to believe that like, you know, that's normal. Like I had my 21st birthday in the Navy and I was <laughs> on barracks duty because I was on limited duty after like going to a psychiatric hospital for five days. And my <laughs> supervisor was like, Richards, you had your, uh, had your 21st birthday yesterday. And I'm like, uh-huh. He's like, go back to bed. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I probably should have known, you know, something, <laughs> something was a little off, but you know, it was like that, that was so normalized to me. And I, I I didn't really care. Um, I don't think people join the military because they're happy. Um, I didn't join because I was happy and because things were going well. I joined because things were not going well in my head. And um, I didn't have enough faith in myself to even like fill out a, a college application. And the recruiter was willing to fill out all the paperwork for me. Um, post 9-11, but really scraping the bottom of the barrel there. So yeah, uh, they, were, <laughs> they were really recruiting. And uh, I got out and we went to Colorado and it was funny because my dad said, you know, you know, when I graduated college, I moved out to Colorado with your godparents and uh, I just played guitar and smoked pot. And I was like, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to do like big things in Colorado, bro. And I got a part-time job at Macy's and uh, should have taken allergy medicine and blew my nose before this. And I uh, <laughs> started going to the Art Institute of Colorado for fashion retail management, which you can imagine being like, <laughs> 22 years old, just starting school with a bunch of like 17 year old, like kids from the suburbs in Colorado coming from like the gunshots and fireworks neighborhood of Akron, Ohio <laughs> and the military and just feeling like old AF. <laughs> like, like it was, it was definitely a bit of a culture shock for me. Like that, like, I, I just want to say Cherry Creek, Colorado is nothing like Akron, Ohio. It was, uh, it was different. So yeah, once again, go back to feeling like an alien. Um, <clears throat> and I've done a lot of like acting classes, <clears throat> excuse me guys, acting classes as a kid um, and, and stuff like that, but never really, <clears throat> really did anything with it. Sorry, I really should have taken a leg or like an hour ago, but um, yeah, I didn't really do anything with it. And my boyfriend at the time, like he was going for post-production editing. I'm sure none of this is that interesting to you guys. Um, and our roommate was going for directing. Like we knew him from the Navy. He was like our token hippie friend. And, you know, we were so stoked to get out and do drugs with him. <laughs> like, you know, hippies have the best drugs. Um, and so, yeah, we, uh, you know, made a lot of little film projects. And I promise this, this will be relevant later. Um, but yeah, like the film projects and stuff, it was like, it was cool. Like I was really like, you know, uh, happy to be kind of like doing stuff like that. I went to a lot of concerts. Um, and, uh, I think I'm good. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm like, Ooh, train of thought. But yeah. So, you know, we did stuff like that. I went to a lot of concerts. Like I started a band, like we weren't very good. Um, I, I basically started a band like in high school, not knowing how to play my instruments. They were just like, we want to be like Black Flag and have like a hot chick, like bass player and da da da. Um, like, you know, a hot chick in like an Ohio 10. So we, 
we started a band. It was like fun. It was hard to find a guitar player, you know, like I, I, I felt like I had things going for me, but it was just things that were like things that were okay. It was things that were safe. It was things that weren't really too ambitious because if I was to be too ambitious, what if I failed? Despite that when I was a kid, I wanted to be fucking Fonzie from Happy Days. I wanted to like jet ski over a shark and like, you know, uh, fix my motorcycle and look cool like Susie Quattro or whatever. I wanted to be Susie Quattro. If you're too young to understand that, Joan, Joan Jett, I don't have a modern day equivalent of those people. So um, just look up the runaways or whatever. So yeah, I, I, I wanted to be that, you know, but instead I was like, I started my little punk band, which wasn't bad. You know, we had like a great drummer and it, it was a fun time. Um, and I, uh, I, I went to school part-time and I worked at Macy's part-time. Um, life was okay. <laughs> so, um, I, so sorry, I thought I turned off notifications on my computer. So if that noise was invasive, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, like we, we went to the movies a lot, me and my film school boyfriend. And um, it was like, you know, I, I had a lot of layers of trauma from like childhood, like childhood sexual trauma, like an abusive boyfriend when I was like 16 who also sexually assaulted me. So that was cool. Um, I never really like gotten a therapy for it. I, in the Navy, like kind of reached out to like group therapy and individual therapists for like, um, just, you know, my depression and trauma and stuff. I like witnessed a really bad, like sexual assault when I was like in a school in the Navy and then like almost died on the flight deck. And then, you know, and, and after the flight deck incident, I was kind of just like, ha ha, it's, you know, it's Airman Richards. She's fucking clumsy as hell, you know, ha. But like, I was suffering, like I was having nightmares about drowning and stuff. And then I get out to Colorado thinking like, this is a new yet mediocre yet new start for me. This will be great. And um, yeah, so like, I, I guess a lot of people know me because um, if my face looks familiar, it's because you've seen me in newspapers and you've seen me on the news. So um, you see me everywhere. You see me on TMZ Entertainment. You see me in the Denver Post. You see me in the Akron Beacon Journal. You see me on Fox News. So <laughs> um, my name was not Rowan when I was a baby. I changed it because I was dealing with a lot of stalkers. And then I realized when you're an adult, you can actually make yourself. Like you don't have to be defined by your childhood or shitty things that happened in your childhood. You can just, those can be things that happened to you and things that you did and things that were a part of your life, but they don't have to define you. So I picked a name that uh, the internet said was Scottish for fiery little one. And that sounds about right. So um, back when I was still Carly, um, yeah, like Carly Simon, but we had to spell it weird because my dad and I are just fucking terminally unique people. <laughs> he's, he's wonderful, but we're, 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 we're different. Um, yeah, so I, I went to the movies one night. It was the, the midnight premiere. I'm so glad you guys have no issues with cussing because I'm so tired. You're going to hear the word fuck like a million times in the next five minutes. And if you're offended by the F word, I'm so sorry. You should probably go do something else. Take a poop, like get a snack, whatever, maybe at the same time. So I, uh, <laughs> I went to the midnight premiere of Batman, like the Dark Knight Rises. I, oh, good. You guys can't see me from the neck down. Well, anyways, I have a big Batman tattoo on one side of my chest and I have an adrenaline molecule on the other. I fucking love Batman. Um, 
I also love not dying. So um, luckily I had Navy experience and a boot camp. We know what tear gas smells like and going through the story is kind of hard. So I'm going to just very briefly touch on it. And if you want to Google me later, you can get the whole story, go for it. Um, there, there's so many articles I'm sure you can put two and two together. So uh, yeah, like long story short, um, someone lobbed tear gas into the crowd and it landed at my feet, me and my boyfriend's feet who are in the Navy and probably were some of the only people in this theater full, this packed theater full of hundreds of people that knew what tear gas smelled like. Cool thing is I'm paranoid as fuck. So I always sit at the end just in case I have to pee or as my dad always taught me, what if there's a fire or like some kind of emergency? Um, so I got up and at the second we smelled it, we knew to get up. I grabbed my purse, we got up. Um, something knocked me back down in my seat. I didn't know what it was. I just started running and I heard all these loud noises and I didn't know what happened. And we got outside to the car. I don't know, my brain just told me go. <laughs> like for me, it was just like, it wasn't me thinking. It wasn't quick thinking. People are like, oh, she recounted quick thinking. I'm like, no, no, no. I recounted my fight or flight, <laughs> my nervous system telling me go. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't really do that like on my own. So yeah, um, my nervous system told me to go and I do what my nervous system tells me apparently. And uh, that's how I got out safely. Um, most people didn't process what was going on because most people didn't smell tear gas right away. So um, we made it out safely. And then I realized I was bleeding a lot. I was bleeding a lot. <laughs> and suddenly I couldn't really walk. And suddenly I felt like my fingers were tingling and I felt like my arm was being crushed by a boulder. And um, I didn't know what was going on. So we knew that there was a cop doing construction traffic down the street. And uh, usually I spare people the gory details because I'm like, oh, I probably got about 20 minutes, but people fucking love true crime shows. So here we are, um, you, get, you get all the details um, that I'm willing to tell. But yeah, so we flagged on the cop and we were like, yo, like, where's the hospital? Like this guy's from Michigan. <laughs> like my boyfriend is from like Pontiac slash Traverse City, Michigan. I'm from Ohio. We both just spent the last couple of years in Lemoore, California, which before you ask, it's the world's largest F-18 base that no one's ever heard of. If you've ever seen Top Gun, you know what Lemoore is. So um, yeah, we, we had no idea where the fuck we were. We had only been there for so long. And like, that's just when things were really looking up. Like we had just won like free tickets to a Screeching Weasel concert. We volunteered to be zombies at this like zombie run. Like, we were having an awesome time. I had a photo shoot that morning, like a mildly budding uh, career as like an alternative pinup model. Like I say mildly because it was just starting, <laughs> but you know, and um, yeah, so like think things were going really well um, until then. So, uh, or I thought things were going well. And actually a side note, um, I'll, I'll, I'll rewind a little in a minute, uh, but yeah, my boyfriend at the time and I, um, we had both uh, not been drinking. We quit smoking cigarettes. I never thought I was going to do that um, for about six months or so. Um, and it was actually because we were getting into these lovers quarrels <laughs> when we were both drunk. Um, and I wanted to prove that he was the problem, right? So like, you know, when we would drink and he would get like blackout drunk and go on these like rampages that were so bad that my fucking dog was like hiding underneath the dining room table. I would be like, you have a problem. I've only had one beer tonight. Like, you are so obviously the problem. And, and I really believed that, you know, <laughs> even though like, you know, if you like every couple of weeks I would like lose a job or, or like call into work because 
I was hungover. Um, I was sick all the time. It sucked. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it's just like, that's like a testimony to how like delusional we are, you know? So, um, I'm going to be skipping back and forth a lot here. So if you're having, having trouble following, I am, I'm not really sorry, but I'm, I'm sorry on the surface. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I really, you know, I, I, things were going well. I hadn't been drinking. We both hadn't been smoking cigarettes, like, you know, cause I was like, it's me or the booze. And he was like, fine, I choose you. And I was like, yeah, Pikachu. Um, so we did that. And so anyways, the shooting, we got to, uh, the, the traffic hop and he was like, holy shit. Like he looked at me and was like, oh, and I, this is all kind of blurry. Cause like, I was really in shock. I was also in a lot of pain. And like, I, I, my, my brain wasn't processing what was happening. I realized that your brain is always trying to protect you. Like the most complex organ in the human body. It's always trying to keep you from dying but it's not always trying to help you cope or think logically. <laughs> um, it just doesn't want you to die. So um, he flagged down some paramedics. They tried to get me to walk. I remember trying to take a couple steps and it literally felt, and I mean, literally in a millennial kind of way, okay? I mean, literally <laughs> felt like I couldn't walk. Like my legs felt like actual, like, like jello. Like they were like wobbly. Like I, I felt like there was nothing in them. <laughs> and. Uh, they tried to get me to take a few steps and they were like, oh no, dude, she's fucked up. We got to take her in the ambulance. And I was like, so what happened? I don't know what happened. And they were like, there was a shooting. And I was like, ha ha, ha you're high. Like what? <laughs> you know, like I, I, I thought that was the most absurd thing I'd ever heard. I, I had no idea. I was like, dude, like in the movies, like, come on, it's like midnight. Like, but are most school shooters like, look like past their bedtime or something? Like what's going on, you know? Um, so weird because, um, I, when I first got into AA, I'll tell you about my secular journey in a little bit. Um, <laughs> I remember people saying like, wow, like you were like touched by an angel. And I was like, yeah, like God must have this like big higher purpose for me. But like, why didn't God have a higher purpose for the eight-year-old girl whose mom ended up in a wheelchair and had a miscarriage? Like God didn't have a higher purpose for the eight-year-old girl? No, and no answers for that. Shit, weird. Um, also realize people still can't explain pediatric cancer to me. So whatever. Um, maybe I do have a higher purpose. I don't know. I don't know. I just, now I believe that I make that purpose. Um, but I was the target of a lot of groups afterwards because I wrote a blog post, sort of what happened. And I was like, no, I wasn't touched by an angel. Like I, I was lucky. I had a good head on my shoulders and I used it and I got out. Um, and there were a lot of like atheist pages on like Facebook and stuff, like slapping my photo onto like a picture that I took of some of my wounds to show a friend of, to show some friends of mine. Um, I didn't realize I should have had everything set to private. I didn't realize it was such a big event. I didn't really know what happened. I just knew that I got hurt and, um, wanted to show my friends that I was fine. Um, so I was getting harassed by a lot of people. Like there were people with their little pages who wouldn't take down my image because it was getting them a lot of views. And then I was getting harassed by people like, you burn in hell, you arrogant bitch. And, um, that sucks. So <laughs> I feel like it couldn't exist. Um, it's like between like the PTSD, like the nightmares and the flashbacks and hallucinations and like the physical pain and like the hundreds, if not thousands of like conspiracy theorists and stuff like harassing me. Like, I just felt like it couldn't exist. I was miserable. Um, so I uh, went through a lot of healing from that, like had to testify at trial, like I was count number 55 of attempted murder and um, guy gets three hots and a cot, acceptance. 
So um, had to practice a lot of acceptance with that one, but you know, life goes on. So, uh, you know, eventually I broke up with that guy. I got with someone who was actually really abusive. Um, and we started a band. I met with this documentary filmmaker from Berlin. She was like, I really want to make like a documentary about you. She made us a music video. Like things were, I was pretending that things were going okay. I, I had my, my partner and, you know, like we had this sweet band of two queer chicks writing songs about whatever the fuck we wanted. And, you know, I, I, I was at least surviving. And, but this person was not just abusive. She was also, also an alcoholic. <laughs> so uh, one night she, we were so, uh, this, this is the part where people cringe. We used a bunch of change because people can relate. Um, we used a bunch of change that we dug out of like our dresser and like closets and shit and like went down the streets of the liquor store as usual and bought some steel reserve with a bunch of change. <laughs> and, uh, that was plenty, I guess. And, um, I remember she threw up on her laptop and, <laughs> ran to the bathroom to throw up some more like our laptop that we needed for like mixing our next EP, you know um and like I mean she, she's a terrible person I care more about the laptop but not thinking of having anger just just as a fact um but yeah so we <laughs> she ran to the bathroom and I'm like standing there my little dog's just like looking at me like I'm fucking stupid because she should have been <laughs> and I'm like holding a Hello Kitty travel mug full of booze as per usual, I really missed that mug. And I thought like, I don't know, just like my inner voice or whatever came to me and said like, there's gotta be more to life. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, So I, I took the travel mug, I took like all of our shot glasses, I took everything and I just like dumped everything out. I rinsed everything out, I, all cans and stuff went whoosh. Um, and I was like, well, I'm in Colorado and I'm from Akron, Ohio. What are those little coins my dad's been getting the past few years? Um, my dad's like, I was in sobriety early on. Like, I guess AA just wasn't his thing. So like more of a coin collector. Um, but thank goodness for those coins. <laughs> like, cause I was like, where do people go to get sober? <laughs> and uh, I looked up online, there was a 12, there was a midnight meeting the next night, Saturday night slash Sunday morning. Um, and it was an AA meeting. So <laughs> I was like, Ev maybe I shouldn't say her name. She's not in the program, I don't think, whatever. I was like, Ev, we are going to this meeting tomorrow. We are going to get fucking sober. <laughs> and, and she was like, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. I'm like, please don't die before we do that. So uh, the next night we were, I mean, because what the hell else were we going to do on Saturday night at midnight? Like go, go get drunk, like go, go find drugs in the bathroom at the club. I, I, I don't know. Um, and she and I were never like clubby, like gay bar types either. You know, like it was like just, just us, you know. Um, that, that's how codependent people are. We isolate. So like I was dealing with both like codependency and alcoholism. And so that was really rough. Um, and also like PTSD. I was getting surgeries to get birdshot pellets. If you don't know what birdshot is, it's like buckshot. It's like little small um, steel or lead or whatever pellets that are in a plastic casing. You fire them from a shotgun, they hurt like shit. Um, if I'd have been a couple inches closer, I would have been dead. So yeah. Um, the next night, you know, we went to an AA meeting and um, I knew deep down <laughs> that that's where I was supposed to be. And I don't mean supposed to be as in like, oh, it's destiny or it was fate. I just mean like, that's where I, I needed to be. And like, but you know, my partner at the time was very much like, 
I just don't think she wanted to get better yet. Um, and I don't know if I did either, but like, um, I don't think we actually get sober when we want to. I think we do it when we need to. I used to tell people like, yeah, they'll get it when they want to, but like, that's not, not true in my, my experience. Um, I didn't actually get sober till I needed to. So, you know, um, just the irony of like all this weird shit happening in Colorado. Like I, uh, have godparents who live out there in Littleton, like my uncle, I, my godfather, um, he was the first responder at Columbine. And he told me like, if you'd been a couple inches closer, um, you would be dead. So it was like, ta-da, miracle. Um, or that's the way I thought of it much later. But at the time I was like, there's no God. There's literally not, there's nothing. There's nothing out. There's no good in the world. <laughs> like there was nothing like, so it was like one extreme or the other for me, like very cluster B symptom-ish. Um, and so yeah, I, uh, I just remember like, you know, the meeting was like a bunch of old street white guys sitting in a circle being like, by the grace of God, I'm sober now. And I was like, fuck. But you know, like I was just happy to be in a space where people weren't drunk and, and they apparently really wanted us to not be drunk too. And they kind of wanted to help us. And they also gave us free coffee and these little coins. And so I was like, dope, I guess. Um, so we came home and our consensus was, you know, it's a bunch of old white guys talking about um, drinking and, and God. So we don't want to go back. And I was like, well, maybe there's a meeting for people like us. So I looked up a secular meeting. Um, there's actually a guy that I see it at my online home group sometimes who was in that group. Um, and I was like, that dude's got a lot of cool things to say. So I didn't know anything about AA though. Um, there was a different guy in the meeting who was you know, hitting on me and my partner. Um, I'm cis and my partner was trans and people really tokenized that a lot. And that was rough. Um, I think that talking about your identity and stuff in the program, it is important, you know, cause like we all have the same illness. Um, I don't wanna let my terminal uniqueness kill me, but like we have to understand that there are like, um, What's the right word? There's a lot of diversity in the program, a lot more than, than we see at 12 o'clock Saturday night meetings full of old white guys, right? So, um, you know, it was, uh, it, it was uh, something that sort of chased us away, like feeling uncomfortable at that meeting. So, um, but I, I feel like nowadays, if something like that had happened, I would have just literally said something out loud about it, maybe even during a share. And I, I, I just, if you're, there to make people, I'm, uh, what's the right word? 13 steppers aren't welcome. I don't give a shit. I have no tolerance for people who could be detrimental to the healing of others. Like go do your fucked up like program somewhere else. I, I don't, I'm not here for it. So um, yeah, like if it, you're just whatever. So yeah, we, we stopped going to meetings and, um, but we, we didn't drink for a long time until uh, shortly after one of my surgeries, uh, my partner took, it was like, we broke up that night and I was like, well, I'm going to get some good sleep. I'm going to take my sleep meds. We'll decide what to do in the morning. Like I'm probably just going to go back to Ohio. And so, um, that night she stole some of my anxiety meds, um, my, uh, painkillers. Um, I was never really an opiates person had a fling a while ago and it was just not my thing. So took my painkillers, um, went to the liquor store and the bar, both, I think, chased them with alcohol, 
woke me up saying I need to go to the hospital. And I was like, I took 30 milligrams of Restoril. I cannot take you to the hospital. Should I call you an ambulance? Like she tried to hit me. Um, uh, she was taken away in an ambulance after all, because I had to call 911. And um, uh, her family came in the next day, like just smiles. And like, it took so long to get over that resentment. I don't know if I would still punch her sister in the face. I would probably still punch her sister in the face. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not perfect. Um, but just that, like, just out of principle, um, you know, her sister came in smiling and like, oh yeah, like, uh, did perfectly on her psyche vow and like, she's fine, you know? And I'm like, well, people who are fine don't steal a bunch of their partner's medications that they needed after surgery for something that caused like debilitating PTSD, um, both PTSD and physical pain, um, and then try to hit them in the middle of the night, but okay, whatever. Like they were like getting her guns and stuff. I was like, why would you let her have guns? You know, like it was, I was, I had never felt like such a victim. And this was someone who had been through like rape and a mass shooting and the, you know what I mean? Like I really, I had never felt like such a victim and uh, it, it, it was hard. And for people to admit that they were victimized before, it doesn't mean that like you're living in a victim mentality. It just means that like you were a victim before and it's okay to say that. I think people like equate like, being victimized with being weak and like first of all like the fact that someone victimized you before doesn't fucking make you weak and secondly like you don't have to be like strong by anyone else's definition this is a recent epiphany I had <laughs> um and and like you know these are all just my opinions these are all just my opinions but I feel very strongly about that um and so I called my parents and they were like, holy shit, we knew that bitch is crazy and da, 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 da. crazy is a pejorative term for people who are mentally ill um, uh, to downgrade their struggles. But yeah, um, they said, well, why don't you come back to Ohio? You can just like stay with us until you get on your feet. And I was like, wow, thanks mom and dad. That's awesome. You guys totally raised me in a, a normal, not chaotic childhood where the house wasn't always full of weirdos, especially molesty weirdos. Um, this is a great idea. Um, and I have such a better relationship with my parents today, by the way, if that gives you guys any hope, like I, I love my parents, they're stellar people, just, we, we are all sick in some way and we all have defects and we all mess up. Right. And I, I don't think we all have all the answers. No one does. And if anyone says they do <laughs> run. So, um, yeah, I moved back in and then realized like everyone in the house, except my mother was on heroin. Um, I don't like to like name specific drugs in AA because like, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, I really need you to see me as an addict because I'm like so much different from everyone. Like, yeah, okay, well, if you want to heal, then you're in an AA meeting, just say I'm an alcoholic. And if you're at an NA meeting, just say uh, addict or powerless or whatever. Like I, I just say, I, it, the identifiers in that instance doesn't matter to me. Like, I just want to get better. So, um, you know, long story short, like I started working at a bar. Um, I started trying the side dishes my family was doing, um, had my brief fling with opiates and realized opiates aren't my thing. Um, and because they weren't my thing, I thought like, I'm in control. Like you know, when you try a drug that's not your drug of choice and you think you got it handled because it wasn't your drug of choice. <laughs> a few people have done, told me they've done that. And I was like, oh, thanks for telling me. I felt like such an idiot. Um, but yeah, so it, that's just our sick alcoholic brains thinking. Um, and uh, my thinking is what got me into this mess. So I started working at bars. Um, I gave up that stuff. I started drinking again. Um, 
I couldn't deal with the, the, the opiate outburst at home. So I moved to Michigan to live with a bunch of people that were doing meth and drinking and <laughs> a lot. Um, so I just basically went wherever people would enable me. I just, I found enablers anywhere I possibly could. Um, I slept on their couches. I, I used it as an excuse to do stuff. I was like, cool, at least I'm not that guy. Look at Tweaker Tommy over there. <laughs> um, you know, and like maybe, you know, people in biker gangs aren't good people. Um, so especially not for sober people. Uh, but yeah, so I, I hung out with those unwashed Girl Scouts and did meth in the bathroom a lot. And um, I, I figured if I did like speed, I could just like stay up and drink more, you know, um, but unbeknownst to me, I have ADHD. It, it did not help. So <laughs> Um, but all the sugars and the alcohol did. So I would just be up all night drinking. Um, it got to the point where it was just like, fuck, I'm so bored. Like I was bored. It was stupid. Um, so I came back to Ohio because my roommate had some amphetamine psychosis thing and it, it did not end well. So I came back home and my little brother who like just a couple months before I left for Michigan, I took him to the hospital because, and I'm not going to tell everyone his story. It's no one's fucking business unless he wants it to be, but <laughs> He had, my brother's a tough cookie and like, he doesn't complain about pain, but he had an abscess in his arm, the size of, of Texas. And it was like, he was in so much pain. He was like sobbing. I took him to the hospital and they said, if I hadn't taken him when they did, when I did, um, he would have gone through like sepsis, like he would have died. And my little brother's like an IBH, like, which is a really good, like rehab facility out here. Um, it's, I think they do outpatient, but mostly inpatient. Um, my sponsor worked there when I was working there when I first met her. Um, and I was like, my brother is sober. <laughs> like, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, and my dad's clean. Like, he just got out of jail. And I can't believe he didn't get put in jail before, like the, the piss test. But I, I guess out here it's all fentanyl. Now you don't get real heroin. So huh. um, that synthetic stuff doesn't always show up on a drug test. Um, and that's why hashtag carry Narcan. Um, if you're not carrying Narcan, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> the training is free. It's free online. I will send people links if they want to call or message or text me or email me, whatever. Like I will get you the links to get Narcan. It takes up a total of like five cubic inches at most. Like, I'm just kidding. I filled algebra twice um, in your uh, uh, purse or backpack or whatever. There's no sense in not carrying it. Um, it saved my dad a lot of times. And now my dad is a recovery coach and he helps other people to stay sober. So um, anyone who like rolls their eyes at the idea of carrying Narcan, um, fuck you. So then I uh, saw that they were sober and I thought, holy crap, these are people I never thought would get sober. Um, so finally one night I realized like, God, I've had a sinus infection for like two years or something. Like I was like, it wasn't just like hangovers. Like I was sick all the time. Like I was miserable. Like I had an infected tattoo once in the Navy because uh, the artist told me like your immune system's going to crash. You're at a high risk for infection. You've been up all night drinking and then you were up all night at a hospital while they did a rape kit on your friend. And like, just your immune system's going to crash. And I didn't realize like drinking's really bad for your immune system. Um, and I was a stripper. So like I got paid to drink, like dudes would just like buy drinks left and right in hopes of like getting me drunk enough to take advantage of me. And I'd be like, ha I drink all your drinks too. I was really proud of that. Um, you know, like I, I was proud of the time I got like potentially drugged and still made it home safe. Like, I, <laughs> like I, I laugh now, but like at the time, like these thoughts were perfectly logical <laughs> and it's a little sad, but like, if I don't laugh at it, I will die. So, um, one night I got so sick that I lost my voice. And one of the things I've always loved to do the most was like singing. I've done like city choirs and church choirs and 
like like both and I've I, I've taken vocal lessons and like the city choir and like I sang in bands and like I was actually a really good singer um I'm still okay at it I, I'm opening for a really prominent like country artist sometime in October that I'm excited about and and you know I, I couldn't even go sing karaoke after work because we just shut down the bar whenever we wanted to that the manager would just close um because it was more expensive to keep the lights on until 2 a.m if hardly anyone's coming in so um I thought it was maybe because I started off the night by drinking vodka instead of whiskey. So I, <laughs> I switched to whiskey and was wondering like why I wasn't feeling better. So um, I was, God, that was like, that was like COVID sick. Like I was sick, you know? Um, I tried to like go sing karaoke after work. And that's when I decided like that night I was like, okay, like this is my last hurrah. Like I am, I'm done. So like we got various party fevers um, and like a couple of different ones and I drank and drank and drank. And it was like, I swear I got the rest of it out of my system that night. Um, and the next day I showed up for work and I was like, I might switch to beer, I don't know. But this was like the one day that like, you know, the customers weren't being stingy um, because, you know, th th this is like a divey Akron strip club. This isn't like Little Darlings in Las Vegas, okay? <laughs> so the strip clubs you see on TV were uh, not like this. So yeah, um, they uh, were like, oh, they bought the girls around. What do you want? I'm like, you know what? I'll just get a Sprite. Maybe I'll get a, a PBR or something next time because I'm such a hipster. Um, and then every time they did that, like I would just get like another soda or, or like water or something. And uh, so my first, people always say like one day at a time, but like for me, it was one drink at a time at first. Um, my mom went to the hospital. She had bilateral pneumonia. Um, I did the marijuana maintenance program for about a week. Kind of glad I did because like seizures. Um, and since I just spent so much time telling everyone about myself, I'm going to talk about the steps real quick. So, <laughs> uh, the fact that I did not have a drink when I thought my mother, like the most important person to me besides my dog, um, was dying. Uh, like, uh, she actually ended up being okay, but I thought she was dying. Like her chances were very slim. She was on a ventilator. Like we were making funeral arrangements. Like I was like, what the hell do I do? Um, so that happened and then uh she got a little better and then i showed up at this a meeting it was like a 13 step meeting it was like next to like the halfway houses like people go into that meeting come back out pregnant like it was just not i was like i should not have made this my home group just because it was like right down the street and at first it was i needed that meeting it was a lead meeting where people ramble like me for a half an hour to an hour um and uh some really great leads there it was good um but i just i was like i'm so so sick of this meeting i want to go to a different meeting but my little brother was like well the laundry lady at ibh is going to be speaking there and uh she's like really pretty and she's like really nice and i i guess i kind of have a crush on her and can we can we go listen to her lead and i was like yeah we'll go to the fucking 13th step meeting because you want to listen to the lady the, the the hot chick from ibh talk so <laughs> we did and the hot chick from ibh actually said a lot of things that made me feel like she was speaking to me and the more she talked, the more I was like, oh no. And she was like, get a sponsor and get a home group. And I was like, I don't know what any of that means. So um, I don't even remember walking up to her. Like, I think I just like sort of floated up to the podium. I always tell people this. Uh, <laughs> and I said, hey, you said you sponsor people. What does that, what does that mean? So she gave me her phone number and she said, call me. And I was like, oh fuck. So I spent like at least a month or two like slacking with calling or texting or anything. And finally she texted me and said, listen like are you willing to go through any lengths to stay sober and i was like yes <laughs> and she was like okay then let's go to work 
Um, she called, told me to call her every single day for 30 days. And if I skipped a day, I had to pick up and start all over again. And she was like, I think you called me every day for like eight months. <laughs> like I probably missed like two or three, like four days max out of that eight months. Like I just, I don't want to go back. I knew I could never go back to like feeling as miserable as I did when I had to give up, you know, uh, all of that. Um, so going through the 12 steps was actually pretty cool, but, um, I think I needed all the God stuff, all the like really old school AA stuff. I needed that in the beginning. Um, but a couple of years ago, uh, the pandemic started um, and I was like, you know what? Like my beliefs are not that tangible. Like I literally have a shrine with like death on it. <laughs> and um, to, to people that's not, uh, yeah, so that that I only believe in things that are like tangible right so like I don't have like a god or whatever so I was like well I gotta find a, a secular meeting but like the only like agnostic or atheist meeting we had out here was like basically made on like a resentment against religious meetings and everyone OD'd in that meeting's not around anymore so um I looked up online I was like well what's we agnostics Atlanta um and I found this incredible group of people that were like we don't care if you're like and a baby Jesus or Wicca or Satan or Santa Muerte or like, we don't care. <laughs> like, we just want you to get sober and stay sober. We want to help each other. And they were like the most incredible people ever. And they really are my tribe. I went to visit them last spring, summer, beginning of summer-ish. And like, it was, I had known these people through Zoom and text message <laughs> and phone for like at least a year or two or something. And then when I went to visit them, it was just like seeing a friend I hadn't seen in a little while. Like, it was so weird. Like, it was weird because it wasn't weird, you know? And um, so I think that like through working the steps and like sticking with the program and stuff, like A has actually given me, and I, I've skipped over a lot of stuff. Like, oh, when I first got to the rooms, I was like, do people really love me just because I'm here? Because you hear that in every single lead. Like we, it's so funny. Like we all have like the same illness and, and like, even though we have so, so much diversity, so many different things, like, you know what I mean? Like we all have so many parts of our story that are the same. And that's why I've skipped over so many of them. Um, but yeah, like I, I really found my tribe, like both here and there and, and it's incredible. And eventually I do want to move to Atlanta, but I want to make damn sure that I'm like 100% or as close to hundred percent as I can be like cool with like, where I'm at in life, um, like physically, mentally, financially, emotionally with my sobriety, um, because I want to make sure that I'm not doing another geographical cure. Um, so I went through the steps, um, you know, people, they lump together like one through three, whatever. Um, <laughs> all I can say is like my sponsor had me do like a bunch of stuff about acceptance. I had like the pamphlet. I am a literature junkie and I live down the street from like the inner group. So if anyone ever wants like a little literature care package, call me. I love doing that stuff. Um, I did literature table for a long time for the first ever group of AA. That was my home group for a while. Um, so ooh, traditional AA. But yeah, so uh, she had me do the acceptance thing. I had to do the four absolutes. I had all this reading and writing and I like sat in a coffee shop and like read it to her out loud. And I'm like, oh, what if one of my hipster friends walks in here and they're gonna think I'm a fucking nerd. Um, but they, you know, all of my real friends were happy for me that I was sober. And so um, uh, uh, where was I going with that? Yeah, so it was funny because like I finished that and I was like, yeah, I'm doing good. And she was like, yeah, now you're ready for step one. And I was like, what? So my sponsor family tree is very thorough. And that's part of the reason why people don't 
um, stick around for me. Um, I try to like make it a little gentler without making it an easier, softer way. But I just, if I hadn't done all that work, I would not be sober today. So like, you know, step four was rough because I was like, why am I talking about my trauma with someone who's not a therapist or a, a licensed psychiatrist? And I, I was seeing both, you know, um, and at the time I had a psychiatrist and uh, yeah, I, I, I did that. And uh, my fifth step was actually very funny because like, like my sponsors would just take me to like any fucking public place and be like, I need you to read this thing from the big book out loud. But it was cool. Like I got to do like my uh, super gaudy, like third step prayer at like Dr. Bob's house, you know, like I got the traditional AA experience and like looking back, I'm like, okay, now, like right now, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want the baby Jesus experience, but like, I really needed it at the time, especially in my first year. Um, so yeah, that was a big deal. Uh, and so, yeah, we read my fifth step sitting next to Santa Claus at McDonald's. <laughs> Santa Claus from the mall down the street. Um, and I, I always tell people that because I just think it's hilarious. I'm like, cool, you know what list I was on. Um, and so like, but I didn't realize like how cathartic it would be to like read. And a lot of other people tell that as part of their story. They say like, yeah, I know. Like I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised that when I read off all this stuff, all this dumb stuff I did and all these petty little things that, you know, um, petty but still valid like stuff that I was because I don't want to invalidate anyone's feelings like your feelings are yours um that I was upset about or that I was scared of um and uh it was a little I I don't know it's just really surprising because you know your your sponsor always says like oh my god you did that too that's wild <laughs> like you know and you're, you're I, I tell people like I feel like you will likely be pleasantly surprised when you do your fourth and fifth step um and if you're not like actively writing it like are you really working on it I don't know um you know six and seven were hard because I was like defects like what, is, what does that mean um don't take the semantics so fucking seriously just like do the work um <laughs> my best advice right and then like eight and nine were kind of hard. Like I, I didn't have a long list. Um, a lot of people were like dead or whatever. Um, but yeah, when I finally made my amends, I was also pleasantly surprised. You know, I like read my letter to my mom and she was like, I, I, I'm not upset with you, you know, <laughs> like, you know, um, I was like, yeah, but I was like out all night all the time when she was like worried. She's like, yes, but like, I'm, I'm not upset with you. You know, she, she loves me unconditionally. It goes both ways. Um, so that was really cool. And so, uh, Sorry, no computer. I don't want to install updates. Go away. Um, but yeah, uh, my, my brother told me an immense story about like something spray painting, you know, hail Satan 666 on the side of a, a church building and how, you know, he went to knock on the door and apologize and the lady opened the door and he's like, hi, I just like, you know, I really want to make amends with you and issue you guys a sincere apology because what I did was wrong and da, da, da. And the lady was just like, oh yeah, that must've been the old owners. They aren't here anymore. And she just like shut the door. He was like, okay. And I always share that immense story because first of all, hilarious that the shithead little punk kid spray painted Hail Satan onto a church building. Maybe it's not that funny. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, just that that <laughs> most of the time, like, I mean, you should prepare for the worst just in case. Um, but a lot of the times, like people are so much more forgiving than we give them credit for. And I think that's because like we weren't that forgiving like we held on to a lot of grudges and so like I think we just assume that like everyone's going to be like us right so um my sponsor taught me a lot about like 
service work, like she, people say like, oh, it's a selfish program. Like it's not a selfish program. Um, having compassion for yourself and taking care of yourself is not selfish. Um, because if you don't do that, you can't take care of, you can't help anyone else. Um, and she just taught me like the value of like helping other people um, all the time. Um, and so like, I guess like through helping other people, it taught me a lot of humility and I ended up loving myself a lot more. So um, I think that was the most important takeaway I had for people actually. Like that's where I, I that's actually where I wanted to wrap it up was, uh, you know, through working the steps, I learned the value of serving other people and serving other people out of love rather than needing, feeling like I need them to love me. Um, doing something kind without expecting anything in return. Um, it doesn't raise my sense of self-worth to do something kind for people um, in a way that's codependent. Like I, I just wanna do those things um, and be kind to myself. So um, yeah, I'm glad that uh, Megan asked me to speak here. I think both she and I had a lot of like parallels uh, uh, at, at this meeting uh, that we did a couple of weeks ago or something. And I was just like, wow, like, hey, it really brings people together. Like it, it's a small world, especially when you're an alcoholic slash addict. So uh, I feel like I'm forgetting something really important. What is it? Get a sponsor, get a home group, even if it's virtual, work your steps, work them really thoroughly, work them really, really thoroughly, service to others, go pet a dog. Oh, and what things are like now, just recap, like I'm in my first year, so it's a little rough, but I am running my own business. I'm going to school online to be a vet tech. I'm a certified peer recovery, peer support specialist. I'm a expired certified personal trainer. Um, I finally have a roof over my head and clothes on my back and stuff that I paid for. Uh, my car's not really nice. It wants to fall apart from all the zip ties and duct tape on it, literally. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Like I have a running car, I have my own things. Like, I'm, you know, that those sound like material things, but like being homeless sucks. <laughs> so yeah, um, I have everything I need today. And I think that like, between like therapy, especially dialectical behavior therapy, um, psychiatry and the 12 steps um, and the fellowship and stuff. Like I, I have everything I need um, and I've been sober since June. Uh, I was California sober June 15th, uh, 2017. Um, and then about a week or so later I got sober. So we set my sober date to June 22nd, 2017. Um, and now it's September, 2022. So. Um, I've made it to over five years sober. So if people have doubts about whether or not the steps work, um, call me, I will sponsor you. Um, I will do my best if you do your best too. So yeah, those are the gifts the program has given me. I'm, I'm doing okay now. And uh, it works if you work it. I don't have a good cliche to end there. I'm, that's all I've got. <laughs>